Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 8. Today we have Tommy Lee from Kirkwood Haven Partners, a real estate development company where he's a managing partner responsible for overseeing construction projects. I have known Tommy and his wife Nancy for about a year now, and they've gotten me out of a jam on a number of projects and gave me great advice on my rental properties. Today, they own many single-family rentals in their portfolio, as well as have done about 30 fix and flips in the last 12 months. In this episode, Tommy was very open and honest about the tips and strategies that have worked for him in the Houston market, as well as shared the ups and downs of his personal real estate journey. So without any further ado, Here's my conversation with Tommy Lee. Tommy, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, George. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, Tommy, we worked with before a lot. You know, you helped me out on several projects, uh, doing rehabs, and you, you know, you've been uh, kind of highly recommended uh, to me. And we, you know, I always liked your work. But you know, tell tell us a little about about how where you get started, and you know, when you get started in real estate, and how you fell into it. So my wife Nancy and I started in real estate about four or five years ago. We started doing uh, real estate as well. Actually, actually, we started doing real estate as flips because, like you know, like people talk about like flips is all very profitable and everything. At that point, you know, like I was in corporate. My wife is also in corporate. Like um, what was this? Uh, this is back in two thousand fifteen or two thousand yeah two thousand fifteen ish. Yeah, about. 2014 or 2015, yeah, somewhere around yeah. there. Like uh, we started doing, uh, we bought our first flip from New Western, without knowing anything, you know, about like the real estate market. Just heard people make good money off from it, so bought a condo to do, you know, uh, outsource it completely, outsource it to a um, Chinese uh, contractor, mm-hmm. finish the flip in nine days. But then the price, little did I know. Uh, at the time, it's extremely high that like the price that he charged me, mm-hmm. and then like at that point, Nancy didn't have a um, real estate agent. We paid full three percent commission mm-hmm. on the seller side, and then full three percent commission on the buyer side. So full six percent. Then the whole deal um, makes a little less than twenty dollars from the deal. <laughs> nice. Okay, so we were like, better. okay, well. First deal, let's um, you know, let's uh, try it out again. Right. Bought a house in Sugarland. Where's the condo at? Uh, it's on Millie Street. Okay. It's on Millie Street. Yeah. Like um, I don't know the subdivision okay. anymore. Yeah. Bought housing Sugarland from New Western again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, knowing that like the Chinese uh, contractor is a little high in price, hire Mexican contractor to do it. Didn't know anything about construction or anything at the time. Pay 80% up front. Yeah, pay 80% up front. Wow. <laughs> um, the guy did about 50% of the work mm-hmm. uh, for the other 20%. Pay him. That, uh, and it's one thing after another after another. Never finished the job. Jeez. Had to pay somebody else to do it. On that one, um, we... Uh, if we were to sell it at that point, we would have lost about like thirty thousand yeah. dollars. But we kept it as a rental, and like um, the tenant, very fortunately, worked out for us because um, the tenant has been there 
since day one, mm -hmm. and she never moved during this four years. So, um, and Mark has appreciated, mm -hmm. and through the rent, we we recover, you know, like uh, all the potential losses that we would have incurred. So uh, ever since then, you know, we stopped for a little while, like a, a good six, seven months. Mm -hmm. we, we were thinking, okay, there's gotta be a way of doing this like uh, profitably. Right. So we started exploring around, you know, we, we went to different like um, organization and clubs and all that. And then eventually we found Landlord Association. Mm -hmm. uh, and in there we met Jimmy, you know, and then he taught, he gave us some theories on how um, rental market will work. Yeah. And then from his, uh, uh, from learning, from, like from just learning from him, yeah. um, we, we buy one rental after another, after another. Yeah. And then eventually like, um, you know, like, uh, all the rentals that we bought using like the strategy that Jimmy taught us mm. all makes really good sense. Um, the average cash on cash return on all my rentals are roughly uh, 28%. The lowest one being 25%, the yeah. highest one being almost 50%. Yeah. And then since then, like uh, from doing rentals, we yeah. accumulated like uh, contractors yeah. and know where to find uh, cheaper supplies, yeah. quality supplies. And then from there, we started doing flips and then like a uh, little bit, uh, one step at a time. And then uh, we are doing, so I counted before the meeting from last July till this July, we have done total of about um, 28 flips that like I actively put money in all right wow yeah that's uh that's like two months average about two yeah two months gee that sounds uh came a long way um so did was jimmy's strategy to like buy foreclosures or uh i mean so jimmy's strategy was uh it, it was very much a theory right yeah. like um, um it was a theory that worked for him when uh, when he did rental yeah. uh, during uh, the downturn yeah. of the economy. But then like, I think this theory still works today, but it's gonna be very difficult to find these deals. Yeah. You have to actively look at the market on a daily basis to catch deals like this. Yeah. But like, uh, we still find these type of deals. So how it works is basically you want to find houses that are under market value, mm -hmm. pay for it mm -hmm. using cash, don't finance it out, uh, pay for it, rehab it, and then go refinance it. So because uh, the bank usually lets you lend up to 75% to 80% of the ARV. Yeah. So let's say if you buy something at like, I'll use one of my example yeah. actually, because I see one of the questions yeah. here is related to deal analysis. Right. I'll use one of my rental that uh, I bought last year. Yeah. Uh, this one is, in, is on South Acres. Um, we, the ARV around in that area is roughly about $120,000. We got a deal at $80,000, and this is a 2011 house. Um, everything was in very good condition. Mm -hmm. The only thing that like, we had to work, uh, we had to do to it is paint the whole house and change out the appliance and change out the granite and change out like uh, a few fixtures. Yeah. Uh, just to make it look nicer. 
um, spent roughly 10 to 12 grand on it. Don't remember the exact number, but very minimal. Um, uh, after incurring all the holding costs and all that, took us like less than you know a week or so to finish all that. Um, after refinancing and everything, total cost all in is I would say a little under a hundred thousand dollar, a little right. a little under a hundred thousand, including like double closing, right? Yeah. Because when you when you close the first time, and then when you close on the refinance side. Um, the bank came out appraised it, appraised it for a little north of $120,000. Uh, at that point, I was at like, uh, I have uh, almost close to the maximum of rental that I'm allowed to have. Mm -hmm. So my LTV is at 75% versus the normal 80%. Mm -hmm. So 75% of like 120 something, you know, is mm -hmm. like I get about like um, 90 something thousand yeah. dollars back. So in total, I put in like, a little less than ten thousand dollar on this deal, and I rented to Section Eight. Uh, tenant pay for all utilities. Uh, the rent, the growth, uh, the rent that I get is um one thousand three hundred and eighteen something or like some one thousand three hundred dollars, you know. Yeah. So annualized uh annual you know uh rent on this one, it's you know about like. Fifteen thousand, mm -hmm. you know, fifteen, sixteen thousand right. dollar. Uh, put a little bit less than ten percent, uh, yeah. ten thousand dollar on it. Yeah, you know, so it's almost a just even with the insurance and taxes, it's almost like hundred percent. You know, not, well, not, you have to take out like mortgages and all that, right? So this one is one of my oh, cash, on cash. Cash, cash on cash, cash on cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, a hundred thousand dollar in mortgage, that's only like eight hundred bucks. Actually, um, six hundred and fifty yeah, something. Yeah. Yep, thirty year, six hundred. Because like, uh, for rental, you want to make it as long as possible. Yeah. Because uh, cash on cash return is what you're after. Right. As long as it makes sense on the interest, like you want to maximize the cash on cash return. Right. So right. that one, my cash on cash return was uh, is roughly you know like um, six hundred something dollar. So it's a roughly six hundred dollar, but then like um, my wife always like to uh, factor in one and a half month of vacancy, mm -hmm. and then five percent of maintenance uh, cost to it. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty good. So that's close to fifty percent. That's uh, cash on cash. Yep. Yeah. I have about so all my South Acres one. Yeah. I have four at South Acres, and all the South Acres ones are doing very well. Nice. And we actually help investors to buy at South Acres too. Yeah, our friends. I mean, yeah. for that kind of return, you got people lining up to sign, you know, to do that kind of deals. Was that on MLS or did you get it from through wholesaler? Um, three of them is from the MLS. Okay. Um, and one of them was through wholesaler, and then the one that we help our friend to buy is on the MLS. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you this: on the MLS. That's why it's very beneficial to be a uh, licensed agent. And the, the power of cash is just like uh, magnify or, uh, when it comes to deals, a really good deals. So for these deals, these people, they all use an agent listed yeah. on the MLS. What we did to them is Nancy is an, uh, as an agent, 
we went to the uh, agent and be like, hey, we don't want any of the 3%. You mm. keep all 6% of your commission. Okay, so that's a win for you. Yeah. Um, for your client, we'll give you full price, cash price. Um, and then we tell them uh, for the inspection items, we will hire inspector to come in for inspection, but unless it's related to structural, electrical, or plum underground plumbing and sewer issues, we'll waive all inspections. Mm-hmm. So from doing that, you know, like the buyer, the, the seller is extremely happy about it because one, you get full price offer right. and it's cash, so yeah. nothing is gonna fall through. It's not subject to appraisal, it's not subject to uh, a lot of yeah. random stuff. Yeah. And then we always close within five days or whenever title is clear. Yeah. So as a win for the agent yeah. win for the seller and it's definitely a win for us so we try to create a win-win-win situation uh, on these type of transactions yeah no that definitely gets somebody's attention when you put in a full offer for cash and you tell the seller's agent that uh, you can full six percent that, that will win you a lot of deals yeah yeah um that sounds good. I mean, I guess, I mean, they're hate on the haystack, but you gotta keep looking. You just gotta do uh, They are very, very difficult to find. Right. Like, uh, especially on the MLS, they're very difficult to find. And finding deals these days are getting tougher and tougher now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I bought a lot of my rentals about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they all make a lot of sense. And then recently, like uh, these past couple of years, we have been focusing more on flips, so we haven't been looking on the rental as much. But we noticed that like a couple of years ago when we started doing flips, it's a lot easier. It's a lot, um, there are a lot more meat in the bone. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, especially these few months, you know, like it seems like everybody just wanted to be part of the game yeah and then there are a lot more wholesalers that are rushing into the market but yet the deals is not really a wholesale deal mm-hmm. so you have to analyze on average we looked at about a hundred to two hundred deals a day on the laptop the one that are worth visiting is maybe like 10 or 15 of them and then once you visit like sometimes like the condition is not as good as you thought they are on the picture and then, and for the truly good ones, you often end up in bidding wars. Right. And it's very, I would say on average, for every hundred deal that you look at the computer, you get maybe one deal or two, two deals yeah. on the flipping side. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of competition out there. Do you guys use the software to go, help you go through the 100, 200 deals a day? Or no, like um, for us, like uh, we look at this enough yeah. where like um, we can do very quick calculations uh, on, on average, like for us to pass, like it takes us less than two minutes a deal mm-hmm. to to go through it, uh, to basically throw one out or keep one or mm-hmm. look at it. It takes about about two minutes for us to do that. Like it's very quick math to see if it makes sense. Um, and the one that actually do make sense at the initial screening, we look at, we analyze it a little bit further. And then if it still makes sense, we go to the site to visit it, make sure that like, uh, the rehab cost is what we truly think it is. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we uh, go from there. Yeah, okay. Sounds good. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely uh, not not same condition. Market conditions definitely changed a lot last uh, couple of years. Yep. Um, 
So do you do, you do the flicks and flips in the same areas you do the your rentals, or do you kind of do different areas um, for the flicks and flips? So all my rentals, I shouldn't say all, all yeah. but two of my rentals are Section 8. Yeah. So for Section 8, um, Section 8 rentals, for, uh, I like to buy three to four bedrooms, yeah. mainly three bedrooms, because those are the most popular. Mm -hmm. And there is a shortage in housing demand, uh, no, housing supplies right now mm -hmm. from Section 8. Whenever you list something on uh, gosection8.com, it's gone just like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, for those rental properties, I don't really care about where they are as long as like they are less than, uh, as long as they are less than $100,000 is my purchase price. And like um, the rent is roughly thirteen to 1400 bucks on it, then I'll buy those. For flips, like um, I don't look at uh, the location so much that like I buy really anywhere in the Houston or the suburb area. I buy anything from Kingwood, Humboldt, Baytown, you know, like Richmond, uh, Sugarland, Katy, Pasadena, yeah. everywhere. As but the key thing about buying flips is yeah. you want to make sure the DOM days on market yeah. is low in the neighborhood. Yeah. You. There, there are many deals where you come across where the number analytic-wise makes a lot of sense, but the DOM in the neighborhood is like uh, north of 100 days, 150 days. Those we try to stay away from because the way that we fund our deal is by using actually, we use all of our cash to do it, which is technically better than hard money because if you're using hard money, you are incurring interest. Yeah. So you want to make sure that like your inventories are turning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So DOM is the key focus for us. So you mentioned Kingwood. I mean, that's you know they had a lot of flooding up there you know, for for Harvey even recently this year. Is that something you're concerned about, or the ultimate end buyer they're concerned about when they when they look at houses in that area, or I mean, or do you just say we have insurance and so uh, we always stay away from flooded house and firehouse. Um, Kingwood Spring, they just have a bad statement for like flooded house. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like uh, when the DOM there in a certain community is just really good, it still makes sense to do it. And you, we always check the FEMA flood map mm -hmm. to make sure it's not in flood, uh, flood zone AZ, uh, AE, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Because if it's in flood zone AE, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to sell the house because the flood insurance is going to be very high. We already make sure it's in flood zone X, which means that it's not the flood zone and flood insurance is not required. All right. Where do you, where do you, where you find out about the, on the FEMA website there, where you find out about the, uh, uh, the flood zone code? So if you go to uh, FEMA, mm -hmm. uh, you type in the address, it shows you a map of where your address is at. Like uh, flood zone AE is designated by blue, which means water. And then flood zone X is uh, is uh, dirt color, brown color, means it's dry. Yeah, gotcha. So that's that's an important thing to, uh, to differentiate when you're looking at the different deals. That is actually number one, the first thing that we do when we, when we look at a deal. Like before we even analyze the deal, we pull up the FEMA map. If it's in the flood zone, we simply just don't look at them. Right. No point to analyze. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a kind of a big deal, especially around here. Uh, yeah. You know, buyers really kind of 
especially doing the recent events, kind of yep. focus on that. Um, so I know for the for the deals that you helped me on, I know you're a pretty hands-on guy. You know, you've done a lot of construction. You have a lot of you know hands-on background doing rehabs and flips. Uh, do you think that's something that's uh, good for beginner investors to do to get some hands-on experience instead of outsourcing it out to uh, do the first couple of projects themselves, kind of know the angles, and or is there other ways you think they can not you know learn the business without actually doing hands-on work? Like for myself, I was pretty hands-off guy. You know, I tried to outsource everything. And, you know, I try to get the contractors. Um, you know, do you think it's, it makes a bit different in your experience uh, having that? So, that, so that's a very good question, George. It all comes down to how much time you have. You're a very busy guy. Like you have a corporate job, you know, like it's very difficult for you to be all hands on, you know, doing it because you got to be at office from eight to whenever. Right. right? And then after that, you have kids, wife at home, you got to go home to, you know, so like you want to find a trusted like contractor that you can work with that, uh, that you know that like your house and your investment is in your hand and so but good contractor is very difficult to find you know like uh, when i first started it um you know like um i tried to be very hands-off but it didn't work out well you know so i becomes more hands-on and hands-on um and eventually throughout the years you know i built up my list of like contractors that I can use, you know, but like um, the contract that I built up, uh, not like uh, trade. Uh, they don't do everything. Like they special like one one team specialized in floor, one team specialized in paint, one team specialized in electrical, one team specialized in plumbing. So like on every single job site that I have, you know, there are at least four to five teams in and out all the time. Like granite, corporate, these are all different guys. Like there's no one guy that do it all. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it's very, I personally run like, um, I get, I personally on average, I run three to four jobs at a time. On my peak, I was running about six jobs at a time. So I visit every single job site um, at least once a week, at least at a minimum. Some jobs I visit like multiple times a week. And it's good to have those hands-on experience because you know, first of all, you know like how long something takes. And the more jobs that you go to, like uh, and the more uh, contractor that you talk, they're actually doing the work, you also learn from it too. And I like the learning aspect because I, I have uh, quite a few rental, rentals, so I can so when some of the stuff goes wrong in my rental, I don't have to call a contractor and pay like 120 bucks chip charge to for them to fix something very easy. I can take care of those myself. So I would say that like um, it all depends on your time and how committed are you to the uh, to the real estate and what are the strategies that you are using. You know, if you are just simply like buy and hold type of guy doing rental, mm -hmm. then I don't think you need to be very hands on because like um because there's a limit on how many rentals you can buy before you hit your uh debt to income ratio but if you are focused on doing flips and doing a lot of flips in a year then you probably want to be as hands-on as possible you know you don't have to actually physical to do all be physically doing all the work but you need to at least know how much something should cost you you know so that like 
let's say one contractor is not available, you ask another one, you know that like they are not upcharging you a right. uh, very high amount. Yeah. So you act as a GC for uh, for all the subs. Yeah. Right? So you you're organizing all the subs when they come, when they go, when they're finished and ready for the next sub, right? Okay. Yep. Um, do you buy materials for them, or um, or do you outsource materials and labor to them? Get a quote on one. I always buy all materials. Okay. I always buy all materials because, like, um, like I said earlier, it's very difficult to find like a one hundred percent honest uh, subcontractors, and and that's no due to no fault of their own because like they have to go and buy stuff so it takes them time so for me like um i like for example i like to shop around for like the lowest suppliers like most of the stuff that i get is a wholesale price um let's say whenever i have to go to home depot to get something i always take the lowest 10 percent coupon with me and apply that and then the lowest 10 percent coupon only save you up to maximum of 50 dollars uh so every chance that yeah, the mm-hmm. lowest coupon only save you up to mi- maximum of fifty dollar oh, okay. per coupon. Mm-hmm. So let's say if you're buying a thousand dollar worth of stuff, yeah. you know you have to do it in two transactions to maximize the benefit. But you don't re- you can't really expect your contractors to save you that type of money, and oftentimes they don't because like they would simply say, hey, this is the lowest coupon, Home Depot don't take it. Mm-hmm. So. By doing some of that stuff myself, I get to uh, maximize the amount of saving that I have on materials. Even paint? I mean, paint is pretty standard. How many charges you like, uh, I don't know, dollars so, or... So for paint, even for paint, I have special account with Bear okay. uh, at the Home Depot, where actually for all paints, I get it at 25% discount huh. of the market price. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good to know. Cause, and, but even for something that's, you know, flooring or, um, you know, something more common like drywall, do you keep, do you have a garage? Do you have a warehouse that you keep stuff or you just kind of uh, buy in bulk and then buy as, as a project needed? You, you, at real time, I guess, real time you know, supply. That's a good question. Like, um, so from time to time, like big uh, box stores like Home Depot, Lowe's, Floor and Decor, they have discontinued items. Right. Like these are the items that like they have maybe like 20, 30,000 square feet left. Yeah. But then like they sell it at like super cheap. Like uh, about a couple months ago, Lowe's had a 18 by 18 tile. Their normal price on that is roughly like 99 cents a square feet. They were on sale for about thirty-seven cents a square feet, so it's like almost sixty-six percent off. So for those, I bought like um, I bought roughly almost all of their inventory on stock, and then I kept using one job. So we rented a like a really cheap warehouse and store them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good strategy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess when you get really big scale, like people will start renting out a warehouse for full time and you know start having their own suppliers and stuff like that. But uh, 
uh, that's uh, definitely a different ballgame at that point. Yeah, but like, we are certainly not that big, so like, I don't store a lot of inventories. Like that deal it was just really good, uh, really good to pass on. So that's why I did it that way. Okay, sounds good. I don't want give you. I don't want you to give away all your trade secrets. Oh no worries. <laughs> um, so and it sounds like you're you know you you're doing a lot of different things. You're doing flips and doing rentals. Um, how do you manage your time? You know, for me, it's always a challenge. You know, I, you know, I have a full-time job, W two uh, income, and then we try to do it at night. And you know, what what percent of time do you uh, source deals versus uh, the rehab versus you know, does somebody help you with it? I mean, I guess Nancy helps you with the, on the sell side, um, but on the rehab versus sourcing deals. Oh, like um, that is one of the area that I'm actually pretty bad at. Like, um, because whenever I'm awake, I'm working, and I work until when I go to sleep. Nancy always complains that like, I never have enough time with the family. And that's um, really just the, um, the nature, I think, of this business. And like, I'm trying to improve on it. But at the same time, like, uh, I like to be very hands-on, and I like to oversee like, uh, a lot of it. So... For sourcing deals, I source. I uh, I look at deals as soon as I wake up in the morning. Go through all my e- go go through all my emails. I uh, uh, look at them, make sure. Uh, and I looked at them throughout the day. Um, with the cell phone, you know, I have I'm subscribed to like a bunch of wholesalers. So they when they email me deals, I looked at it. Sometimes really good deals, they are gone within a matter of thirty minutes or so. People. I have seen deals, I have personally done this too, buy deals sight unseen, just looking at the, just looking at the pictures and analyzing the numbers because there are so much gap in between that like, it doesn't matter what goes wrong, you are going to make a pretty decent profit from those. And, and there was one deal that I vividly remember last year, it was gone within less than five minutes like um we've offered above asking cash price but that deal was sold within like i don't know however many minutes of blasting now yeah so you uh, got gotta keep an eye uh close gotta got keep in close eyes um on the uh, deal and then like as far as like going to rehab you know like uh job sites it depends on like um who is doing what at what job site for example like um i have three job sites going on right now one of them is led by my dad doing like the basic stuff he i place a lot of trust on him so i rarely go to his job site unless he asks me to one of my job is uh, the tile guys is over there right now and he is very trustworthy too so i i only go over there when he told me he's all done one of the job sites that I have right now is uh, is um, doing what is it like uh, the the carpentry mm-hmm. type of the woodwork. This guy does great work, but he is almost never on time getting his stuff done. Mm-hmm. But he charge a very good rate for the quality of work. So for those, I have to make sure I go on site to check on him and see if he is actually there doing the work. Cause like he usually doesn't pick up phones. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, it definitely depends on the contractor. Yeah. Um, I guess you just have to keep trying them. And keep trying them. Keep the ones that are really good. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a keep the ones that do quality work at a price that is fair. Yeah. Sounds good. And um, usually we kind of try to do a deal analysis for um, uh, you know things we can learn on a particular deal. But you already talked about two or three deals that you did. So. Um, what are the areas of challenge that investors watch out for? So you mentioned, you know, finding the right contracts. It's a very important, right? Getting, getting stuff with the bad contract and then finishing, you prepay them 80% of from, that's just a big no-no. Um, what are the big mistakes that you made in deals, you know? That so I'll say this, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. Yeah. Like, um, it doesn't matter how experienced you are, you will run into, um, situations where you lose money so as i mentioned like at the beginning of this like podcast uh from last july till now we done uh, i personally done 28 flips where i put my money in in addition to all the other flips uh and projects that like other investor uh gave us um out of those 28 deals we made money on 27 of them on one of them which happened, which we closed last month, we lost money. This you recent know, last month. This recent okay. last month, we lost money. That one in total, uh, between uh, three partners, we lost about $21,000. So $7,000 per person. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, for me, I didn't net any losses per se because like um, my GC fees, covers a good chunk of it i maybe lost like a few thousand like two or three thousand dollars from it so the thing is it doesn't matter how experienced you are you you will run into deals where you lose money but to me like i did 28 deals i lost one make money on 28 27 others that's i'm pretty happy with that yeah that's a pretty good batting average was it because the uh the comps you guys overestimated the comps or uh, so the rehab overrun I think the biggest uh, pitfall for me on that one is getting overconfidence and over your head you know so that was our, and and we certainly revisited that yeah. uh, after the loss happened so during one point we were doing so well where when we whenever we listed a house on the market it got multiple offers within a week or a weekend, yeah. stuff like that. So we were like, it doesn't matter what we do, yeah. we're always gonna make money. We, we were, all of us were over our head where we feel like, man, this is thing is just on an autopilot. Right. So during that week, we bought less than five days. We bought six deals in less than five days. And that was our pitfall because we no longer, we, because like whenever we analyze a deal, we always have underwriting criteria, right? Like we will only buy houses that are newer than whatever age. We will only invest in this project if the projected return is X percent, right? Well, we started making all sorts of exceptions to, to those rules. When you make exceptions to your own rules, you will eventually pay for it. And that was a lesson that we learned from that. 
Gotcha. No. Yeah, I mean, Duden is so important at keeping to your metrics and your uh, criteria. Yeah. That was, uh, get how you self, keep yourself out of trouble. At least, you know, most of But still, I'll take 27 out of 28 any day. So, good. And is there, um, before we move on to the, the wrap up and fun segment, is there anything I forgot that you want to talk about? No, I think that you cover a lot of it. I think, like, um, the only other thing that like, I would like to remind, like, uh, entry-level investors, um, do, whether you're doing rental or whether you're doing flips, is um, find, like, find a true purpose of why you want to do it. You know, like, um, making money, it's great, and it can be your purpose, but if that is the only purpose that you have, then you're not going to last very long on this because this industry in general is extremely stressful, like uh, especially on the flip side, because once you think you get everything done, by the time the completion of a flip is not the end of the project, it's during the sales period between all the negotiation that you have, between all the repair addendum that you have, between the appraisal, appraiser coming back to you, and you need to justify to your appraiser why you think your property worth this much. All that can be very, very stressful. Between delay in closing, deals falling through, you've got to have a strong heart for this. And um, if you are new to it, like find a find your why, basically. And my why is um, I want to retire at an early age, hopefully around 45. So that like um, I can actually spend time doing things that I like while I'm capable of doing it, as opposed to the average retire retire age of what sixty five or seventy right now. Yeah. So good. That's great. Why spend more time with family? Yep. Well, you got a long way to go. You look at like your twenty one. I'm thirty one. <laughs> so I got fourteen more years to go. Nice. That's a that's a good runway. Great goal. And uh, I agree with you. Not everything looks like HGTV was nice, compact, in 30 minutes. You're bought, rehabbed, and you know, sold. And oh, man. Nothing. I don't ever remember like my day being close to anything like HGTV. Like, it's definitely uh, glorified. Right. Yep. Yeah. But with all the dramas, maybe you can start your own uh, little <laughs> TV shows one of these days. Well, thank you very much for going through a lot of that information. That's a lot of uh, great pieces of information that uh, a lot of people can learn from. So let's uh, go to the wrap-up segment. Um, you talked about your mindset already. And um, do you have anything that you do that really keep you on track, like starting the morning up? You said you mentioned, you know, you look at deals uh, right away, uh, you know, after you wake up. Do you keep a planner? Do you keep a, you know, a, but do you use Google Keeps or how do you keep track of your tasks that you need to do for the day? So, because I have so many random stuff that are going on and uh, people need me on an ad hoc query basis, like um, I don't really have a planner. But I but the, the night before I go to sleep, I always uh, tell myself, tomorrow, these are the things that I must get done. And those are the things that are on my top priority list. And I make sure I knock them out um, as soon as I can and as early as I can. And there are many, many days where I work until like 10, midnight, 2 a.m. 
uh, to make sure that like I knock these stuff out. And then like, I think the whole thing about this is being disciplined. You know, like um, being disciplined is very important in this uh, in in the real estate market because uh, if you are a full time investor, you really control all the time yourself. You can't sleep in until 10, <laughs> 11, right. and then go to go or like decide to take a day off or whatever. But if you are in serious doing about this business, you got to be disciplined. For me, I always wake up around like uh, seven thirty or eight. Um, go go through all the deals that are on my inbox for the day. So so before I head out, I have already looked through all the deals that have been set over, yeah. uh, throughout the night. And then like uh, finding finding a deal is very difficult. So uh, so when I do see a good deal, I make sure I make my priority to go actually see the deal mm-hmm. and coordinate with the wholesaler to go see it and all that. And then like uh, as far as like arranging for materials and arranging for subcontractors and all that, those can be done after the normal business hours. So you gotta prioritize your tasks based on like uh, whether something is like uh, whether you are on somebody else's schedule or whether somebody else is on your schedule, and you right. try to take care of things that uh, that you are on somebody else's schedule for first. Right, right. That's that's great advice because I keep you know I I procrastinate a lot too, and I you know I, I guess having a task that has helped me keep stay on track, um, but. Um, I'm curious, George. What do you do? Because I, my understanding is you also have quite a few rentals, and you have yeah. a full time job. Right. And then, like, my understanding is like you also flip here and there a little bit, and then maybe you keep them, maybe you sell them. Yeah. You know, how do you manage, like your, like your day day to day balance, work life balance? Yeah. So I have uh, I have a work uh, tasks I use in Microsoft Outlook for all the corporate stuff, and then I have Google Keeps for my personal tasks for rentals and other uh, stuff in my personal life. And, uh, and what's really gets me off track is the emails, right? When I get emails, whether it's in my job or you know for other incoming inquir- new inquiries, that kind of throws, throws me off the list. So I really have to keep myself you know, on track and not check my email too often. Because once I open my inbox, I, I tend to go in and spend half an hour to answer emails and stuff, versus I should be doing some of the more important stuff that's on my task list and to cross off and do. So I try yeah. not to get sidetracked. And email is certainly distracting sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, uh, I like to check emails, which is yeah. not uh, always the best use of time. But there are sometimes there are urgent emails you need to answer, but sometimes you can just you know make sure you don't check it too often and prioritize things that need to get done first. So that's something I try to do as much as I can. All right, let's get to the fun segment. Um, so I mean, you, you don't sound like you're busy at all. So what, what do you do with the rest of your free time? Do you, do you do anything for fun? So I like to travel. Okay. And when I do travel, like um, I think my wife can tell you that this is that like I'm very bad at planning. I don't plan ever. So like uh, uh, in terms of planning, uh, in terms of like going to trips, so like we like taking cruises because like um, you don't have to do anything. Like um, we're actually going to a cruise in November of this year. And um, I like things where, I like to do things where like, I'm forced to be off because when you're on a cruise, you know, you don't really get internet unless you pay like 
20 or 30 bucks a day. And like, um, you know, like uh, on a cruise, you just eat, sleep, and have fun. <laughs> so I like that. And then like from time to time, I do uh, skydiving and uh, scuba diving. Real skydiving or I fly? No, uh, real skydiving. <laughs> You can't pay me to jump out of the plane. <laughs> it's hard the first time, but then like uh, once you do it a while, you kind of like it because like the free fall is like the the exciting part. But once the parachute's open, it's actually actually very peaceful and calm and quiet, and you gotta look at the view at a three sixty degree. So I like that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you uh, do you read books, fiction, nonfiction? Or do you uh, listen to podcasts or listen to I audios? mainly listen to podcasts, yeah. uh, radios. Like, you know, I, I rarely read books. Yeah. Any favorite blogs or podcasts or any news websites that you uh, regularly follow? Uh, a lot of the podcasts I, uh, uh, I follow is related to real estate and then like flips and yeah. stuff like that. Nice. Okay. Good. Um, your favorite restaurant in Houston? Oh, man. Um, probably, like, I don't know. I actually don't have one. <laughs> what was the last one you went to that you kind of thought, you thought was good? Uh, Perry's. Okay. Perry's, Perry's good. is good. Yeah. You got, what, 15-hour pork chops on Fridays? Yep. Yep. Those are nice. Yeah. Yeah, you guys haven't been to Perry's. So you're missing out. Go get, get a pork chop on, on, on Friday. That's the best deal in Houston. Um, what's something you bought in the last 12 months that you thought really brought you a lot of joy? And, uh, or something I bought you in bought the last 12 Amazon months? Amazon or... Oh, man. Oh, this is a tough one. For because... your car or... Uh, for me, you know, um, you know, my... my uh, my sister bought a massage chair, you know, mm. one of the big massage chairs. Mm-hmm. And because she used one way, we one at a friend's house. I mean, they're very, they're kind of expensive, but they use it every day now. I mean, they, they rave about it. Um, but uh, it's, it's a luxury item for sure. But I mean, that's something that, you know, they, they constantly, uh, you know, get good, good use out of it. But it could be something small, like, you know, uh, electronics or whatever. That's a very good question, George. I think like, uh, I think that will probably be the cruise trip that I bought, you know, like, uh, because like, I I rarely buy any like uh, stuff for myself. So I don't, uh, I haven't been shopping much other than shopping for materials for houses. <laughs> so <laughs> my wife usually do most of the shopping, you know, like she actually buys all my clothes and stuff like that. And my mom do most of that too, so I rarely have to shop for myself. Well, there so you I go. Don't, I don't buy a lot of stuff. All right, uh, last question. Uh, how do people find more about you if they want to reach you? Yeah, they can email me or like uh, come to Landlord Association uh, meetings. You know, like um, I'm at networking event, uh, real estate networking event, wholesale event, uh, quite a bit. You know, I try to go to as many of them as I can. Um, Talking about like wanting to meet wholesalers and get on people's list, you know, there is a um, uh, monthly event right now hosted by Ron Ronner. In, uh, it's 
uh, with investopedia.com. It's called Coffee and Contract, mm -hmm. and they do it in the energy corridor. Mm -hmm. um, and there are usually about like 150 plus people show up to those events, wholesalers, flippers, investors, uh, lenders, etc. It's a great way to uh, network with people and get to know people. So like um, I try to go to I try to go to almost every one of those and then try to go to various um, real estate events that advertise on Facebook. Yeah, perfect. All right, thank you very much, Tommy, for sharing all of your experience. Thank you, George. All thank right. you for having me. Thanks to Tommy for coming on the podcast and sharing his knowledge with us. If you want to find out more about Kirkwood Haven and their products, please visit kirkwoodhaven.com or email them at contact at kirkwoodhaven.com. As always, thanks to Ben Sound for providing music. Thank you so much for listening, and please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to support our podcast. See you on the next episode.